This week, Music Biz Weekly podcast, we talk about managers, management, what do they do? When do you need one? How do you find one? How do you walk that fine line between following your heart and following trends? Welcome to the Music Biz Weekly podcast, founded in 2011 and with over 500 weekly episodes, where Michael Brandvold and Jay Gilbert, two longtime music industry pros, discuss the very latest trends, tools, and tactics that you need to succeed in this new... Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly podcast. You got Mike, you got Jay, and we have an awesome discussion this week with Kevin from CD Baby, although we kind of talk more about management and being a manager and what managers do. But before we get into that, thank you to Bruce and everybody at HypeBot and Bands in Town for all you to support us. And thank you to DiscMakers.com. If you're a musician and you've been thinking of launching your next album as digital only, DiscMakers has created an offer just for you. Get 100 CDs in custom printed jackets for just $149. At this price, there's no risk to try CDs. CD jackets are lightweight and perfect for mailings, selling at shows, and are super easy to hand out as demos. They're also a great way to bond with fans while making some extra gig revenue. Our friends at Disc Makers are the place to go for your physical media, including custom vinyl manufacturing and USB drives. So just a reminder, this is the offer we got for you with Disc Makers. Get 100 CDs in custom printed jackets for just $149 from Disc Makers for a limited time. Don't forget, discmakers.com. So, Jay, I already hinted to it, but we got a great discussion with Kevin from CD yeah, Baby. Yeah, a re- returning guest, uh, Kevin Bruner. Uh, you know him from CD Baby, but he's a you know musician, producer, manager, um, uh, speedwalker. I don't know. He does everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is a great episode, great discussion. We'll see you at the end. Subscribe on YouTube, follow and rate us on Spotify. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We appreciate Today, we're pleased to be joined by Kevin Bruner, our returning guest, SVP of Artist Engagement and Education at CD Baby, of course, and a relentless advocate for the independent uh, artist. But as you're going to find out today, he's dipping his toe in some other waters. And I can't wait to. Couple, uh, he's putting on a couple other hats that are. Yeah. New. Right. Because I can't, <laughs> you know, you can never wear too many. I don't no. like having free time. Yeah. Yeah. He was just watching the soaps and eating pork rinds. He had That's nothing right. else to do. So, Kevin, thanks for joining us, man. Oh, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here. Mm. So, 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 Kevin, what's new in your world? <laughs> <laughs> well, not much. You know, not much. Uh, I well, the, the short of it, and then we can get to the long stories. I started collaborating with an artist and then started uh managing her career a little bit, helping her get off the ground. The single first single dropped today. I'm co producing, and what is it? Song. Tell us what is her name, it? Her name's Melody Ryan. The song's okay. called Bleeding Out. It's uh, you know, honestly, um. And by the way, another thing worthy of note is my longtime co-host of the DIY Musician podcast, Chris Robley, who day one at CD Baby, I sat next to him and I've worked there 17 years. I've known Chris for 17 years. Our bands have played the same shows, but I've never recorded in the studio with Chris until this track. So he plays keys on it. I play guitars, but I co-produced it with Melody. And it's been, you know, I've only... I've been in, you know, small town poets, still am. And I was in another band here in Portland called Hello Morning, where 
you know, I co-produced a lot of the music with the other guys and had a pretty heavy hand in some of the creative direction, but this is the first time I branched out and done this for somebody else. And it has been a learning curve. <laughs> and uh, like, what, what, are, what are some of the things like you, you kind of assume, you know, what that role is, but you really don't know until you get in the seat. Tell us about that process. Well, you know, as the guitar player in bands, it's like, when creatively I'm spent in the studio, I can like go walk outside and be like, that's somebody else's problem for a while. But when when you're producing the project and there's, you know, creative things, it's like you've got to make decisions. I think that's probably some of the hardest thing is, uh, is you know, being usually, you know, coming up through the artist world is that um, sometimes decision making is tough. And, you're, you know, you don't like making final decisions like that's what it's going to be, whatever we decide right now. Yeah. And so having to do a lot of that, it can get very uh, taxing creatively. And also when, you know, with with Melody, I've been collaborating on the songs with her. So the so, couple of the songs we wrote together and and then uh, <laughs> and playing on it as well. Uh, but this track that just dropped today, um, I've I've recorded on a, a large number of projects, but this was one of my favorite recording sessions, because for me, uh going into it, all we had was a bass line and the melody. That's all the demo had. And it was the last song of the day. We weren't even sure we were going to have time to do it. And it was just playing with some amazing musicians and some real magic happened in the studio where the, the main parts you're hearing, especially from my guitar on the track, were all improvised in the moment. And that is not how I normally record. And it was all keeper stuff too. And so oh, wow. That's for great. me, it was not only amazing to produce it, but I felt like as a guitar player, it forced me to do things that, you know, normally I'm like, oh, I'll just do that in the overdubs, but really just um, felt like it pulled a lot <laughs> out of me. So with every creative project, that's why I get so excited. That's why I'm kind of fired up today because when, when it lands, you're like, it just feels good. Like you leveled up again every time you release new music. And even as, as from the management perspective, I'm sure you all feel that with the artists you're working. Every time something new comes out, it's like it pulls more out of you. It forces you to get creative with how you're engaging with the fan base, with yeah. the, the industry and all that. Yeah. I, I think it's amazing. I just finished Rick Rubin's book on creativity. Highly recommend it. By the way, I need way. to get that. I need to get that. And what do you, what do you explain? First of all, you don't even have to be a musician to understand or appreciate the book because he says you are a creator. If you did that garden, if you made that meal, if you arranged your, you are a creator. But he goes into talking about what you're talking about, which is if you want to branch out and get better, you need to get out of your comfort zone and try things that you haven't. You know, if you're totally one of those guys that uses major sevens, maybe you should write a song in a minor key and try some different things. Just get out of your comfort zone. And you've been kind of forced by taking on these projects to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. And I'm excited because I can feel the energy like you're growing in these areas because you you didn't go for that walk around the studio. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things that in the moment can be very challenging, but at the when you step back and it's very rewarding and it's hard. I think I think for artists in general, um, and and this kind of plays into like I, I mentioned before we started recording. Chris and I have also been taking on just like some strategy clients, not managing them, but just meeting with artists who want some strategy for release. And I feel like one of the number one things that inhibits artists is that their unwillingness to step out of that comfort zone or recognize that, that they've just been stuck in that place. 
And it's scary, especially when you're doing creative stuff because you're putting yourself out there in a very vulnerable way. Yeah. And it's hard. And most people will who, who that go through life will never ever do those things. But as artists, we have to do it all the time. And you don't have a choice. Kevin, let me get your take on on this is a question I know I get all the time, and I'm sure Jay, you get it. And Kevin, you've probably heard it too. And you've actually crossed the line. So many clients will ask. How do I get a manager? When do I get a manager? And you know that that that's it's such a it can be a very easy answer, at least for me. It's like you know you get a manager when a manager comes to you and asks to be part of you. Yeah. You know. You know a manager makes a percentage of what you earn, and if you aren't earning any money, that manager better be in it for the pure love of your music. <laughs> yes. Um, and then secondly, that manager is not going to be your bank. That manager doesn't come on board and then start investing tens of thousands of dollars to make your career. So, you know, has somebody who's probably heard that question and now cross line to become a manager, what's your take when somebody goes, how do I find a manager? Usually, I, my answer is that first off, you better be so busy and have so much going on that you're to the point where you're losing business as an artist because you can't keep up with it all. Typically, that's where I go from just because, like you said, if you're going to bring a manager into the mix, they either need to really just truly believe in you as an artist to willing to take that risk financially themselves because time their time is money and valuable and their contacts are valuable. And um or you better have enough, you're right, right at that tipping point where them coming on will unlock a lot of business pretty quickly uh, that you just can't keep up with it. And so for them, they're going to be able to get paid because, you know, I know being a, a, a manager can be very rewarding and financially rewarding as well. But it also, when you're dealing with artists that are just on the verge to merging into a full-time career, there's the the money can be a challenge and mm. um and also i think the other thing is is that for the artist the manager's not there to 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 be your like a uh, business servant or or maid or clean up everything after you they're they're there to open up more business for you so if you're not ready to make it get even busier then you might not be ready for a manager either because yeah they're not just there to to be your administrative assistant, you know? Yeah. Artist management is not what a lot of people think. Um, most of my clients are artist managers or management teams, and they're very good at what they do. A lot of them, their superpower is touring and merch, you know, making sure that revenue comes in and that tours are booked properly and routed properly. And you're getting into bigger cap rooms and all of those things. But a part of it is your a therapist you're trying you're a babysitter at you're getting somebody guitar strings in sweden at midnight or somebody left their passport at the photo studio and they're at the <laughs> airport and not that that's happened to anybody i know <laughs> hypothetically hypothetically all hypotheticals so you know i respect people who get into artist management um it's a lifestyle right it's it's, but you're right. It can be super rewarding. I've just never had that itch to go into that full time because I see what they do. And 
it's it's like if I asked you, Kevin, at, at work, what's your job description? You would give me eight things, but you do 80 things in a day. Yeah. So I think it's the same. Tell us about like being an artist manager or, you know, a musician or a producer. Those that job description changes on either one of those. And, right. And, 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 and I think it's key to say some of those tasks as a, as a manager are not necessarily sexy, fun you know, sizzle tasks. It's not like, you know, yes, maybe you are putting together a tour, but Jay, to your point, you might also be dealing with somebody in the band who just broke up with their girlfriend and their head's in the wrong space. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like a psychologist, band (laughs) therapist. uh, How do I convince these guys to stay in a bus together for five more weeks just so we can finish this out and deal with all this afterwards? Yeah. 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 There's, there's there's a lot that that goes on i mean yeah if especially if your artist is actively releasing and touring it's like a 24 7 job because anything can you're on call anything can happen you've got the things that you're trying to deal with and work with but um yeah the the bus breaks down in the middle of the night and they're trying to it's like all hands on deck trying to figure out how to get a vehicle there how did you know yeah everybody's working you know so yeah. it's it can be anything. So, you know, there's personalities that thrive with that. I mean, yeah, I, I know a couple one of the things I loved about being on the road as an artist. Yes, I loved playing amazing shows and my band still plays shows um, from time to time. But it you woke up every day going, anything can happen today. <laughs> What's most likely going to happen is that I'm going to have some great stories by the end of the day, whether it was the the, the best experience or like, you would not believe what happened to us. <laughs> right. And shit breaks. I mean, you, yeah, you mentioned that, Absolutely. you know, most pr- professional bands, they have two of everything okay. <laughs> because you get out there, you know, your amp's going to blow one night or, you know, your snare is going to pop or whatever it is. And I think a manager can look ahead and plan some of those things, but you're absolutely right. There's certain personalities that just thrive on it. They love being out on the road you know, they love problem solving. And to your point, no two days are ever the same. Yeah. And I knew lots of artists, in fact, on some of the tours we were on with other with other artists that had like hired musicians playing in their band. Um, some of them practically went crazy because they couldn't handle that environment. And they left. Yeah. The, I mean, they were amazing musicians. And they just like, this is not the life for me because yeah. they need that consistency and that predictability in their day. And yeah. for me, that's, that's the worst. <laughs> yeah. you know, the, 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 the funny thing yeah. is, I mean, the music industry itself, any role, there's no predictability in this industry. There, yeah. there never has been, but, but even now I feel like there's even less predictability because as, as we were joking before we got started here, it's like things change so fast. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, I mean, you count on, you know, you count on uh, the ability to tour all the time. And now all of a sudden, post COVID, you can't freaking find a tour bus if your life depended upon yeah. it because they're all booked. And it costs I mean, three times as much. And, and, yeah. and yeah, and supply and demand then comes in. And now all of a sudden, yeah, you're paying three times as much for that tour bus. So it's like this industry in general is not well suited for people who do not like change, who do not like consistent, inconsistent, you know, they want, they want consistency. 
Yeah, I mean, to me, the thing I always have loved about music is you never know when when lightning's going to strike, when something's going to happen. You could put a whole bunch of effort in something and kind of be disappointed with the results. And then randomly, two months later, you don't do anything and you get this massive thing happens for you. I've yeah. seen that happen in my career and with other artists. Yes. And, and, you know, from like last year, one of this prod, this band I had in Portland for a couple of years called Hello Morning, we've had a lot of placements, but last summer got a call saying, Hey, we placed your song in Joe versus Carol, the Tiger King biopic drama that they did. Nice. And it's like stuff like that happens out of the blue. And it's like, there's yeah. always that chance that something could happen. Lightning. Absolutely. And it's, and it's, it's amazing when it does. Yeah. I read this stat. Um, that the music business has a 93% failure rate if you're just looking at ROI. So I always say that, you know, music um, isn't what you do. It's who you are. I mean, it's part of your, your DNA. Like you have to do it. You have to create, you have to do these things. Right. Um, And I think it's really important that you don't just go into it looking at financial. Of course it is a business and, and you do need to do that, but lightning does strike we had an artist out of the blue that got placed in the black widow movie in the opening credits and we had a a million shazams i'd never seen an artist with a million shazams just like that i don't believe she'd ever played a live show before Mm -hmm. that right so that you're absolutely right that sort of thing and I wish I could say that I'm this marketing genius and I, I set that up. No, oh, I come on, Jay, phone. take credit <laughs> for it. And I went, hello. Oh, you wanted to use the thing. Okay. Send me the agreement. You know, it's not replicatable. Yeah, no, but I think it's more about creating the conditions for that kind of thing to happen. It's like, you can, you can, it's, it's all a part of it that, um, yeah, you de- may not necessarily make the final connection, but that you're creating the environment and conditions for that to exist and optimizing. Yeah. And, yeah. and a lot of the work and, and such. So, yeah. So that stuff always like, e- even, you know, when I get down, I'm like, oh man, we're doing like the last small town poets album we did was kind of interesting for us because we're in this weird space where we have our old label days where we had a lot of success but then we kind of the band went on a hiatus for a while and then we started making music independently and a lot of our legacy fans really just kind of want us to keep making those old albums or just want to hear us play those songs and we're like well we want to write new songs and keep exploring things as artists so when we did this last album i was just kind of like this one just might be for us because we don't know who our fans are anymore and our, the industry that we came from is totally different from when it was back then and right and so um, but at the same time, I, I was like, but when I'm recording it and uh, just feeling like well, one as an artist, I need to be passionate about what I'm doing and excited about it. And for me, if it's, if at the end of the day, this is just for me and us to create something that's special for us, that's success as an artist. It's not always just about the commercial viability. Um, and, I love that. Yeah. and then after that thinking like, but you never know what can happen, <laughs> you know, like nobody, yeah. does, but you never know this, you know, and when I, you know, I feel like, you know, you always feel a little bit more connected to your own projects and, and have a, a probably a, a, a bigger view of how great they are than maybe they really are. But I've always felt very passionate about the projects I participate in and feeling like 
I know music. I'm not, I know I don't love everything and everyone's not going to love what I love, but I feel like this is really good and you never know what can happen. And sometimes nothing happens, but sometimes it does. And when it does, it's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Kevin, let me ask you, because this brings up something interesting. I was talking to uh, uh, advising a potential client on this yesterday. You know, how do you as a manager and an artist walk that fine line of maybe as a manager, you've got to give advice that says, well, you know, you really should, as the artist, go this direction. This is kind of where, you know, we have a better chance of that unknown big event score payoff. If we go this way, if you do this, if you sound like this, if you write like this, if the yeah. photos look like this versus what you just explained, you got to do it for yourself as an artist. So you're happy. Yeah. And maybe that's not a clear path to what is hot right now. Yeah. But that also might be exactly the path that connects with something. How do you walk that fine line of, of follow your heart or follow the trends? And that is a tough one because I've been in both situations. So when our when we recorded our debut album, we were signed to a major label, but no one had heard of us, so nobody cared. Like there was less concern by the label by what we did. There was, you know, our A and R guy had he. There was like two or three songs. He's like, those are the songs. I don't care what you do with the rest of it. But it was all unproven still. Then you know, our first album did very well. We were nominated for Grammy, multiple Dove awards, and sold um, hundreds of thousands of copies and had lots of singles on the radio. And then they're like, okay, now going into the next album. <laughs> This, do that all over yeah, again. <laughs> it was like we have lots of opinions about what's going to happen and it felt kind of stifling on the creative front yeah um, but then that most recent album that we did i felt like we were in a place musically where we needed to branch out creatively again and just not go in with any sort of preconceived idea of what we were trying to accomplish and just do like just the music the thing I love about being in a band is like the, the five guys, what I do with them in small town poets is completely different than how I play and react musically to other musicians. And so it was just like, we just need to be the five of us making music together because the five of us have a, spe a special combination. And I felt like what we came out with was our best album to date because we just said, we're not trying to please certain fans. We're not going in with these preconceived ideas but that we're all accomplished enough musicians that it's not going to be random chaos. And I felt like, and we had someone producing it with us that we really trusted and they had a bit of a musical vision for it as well. And the whole yeah. process was completely different than any other album we had ever done. And this one, we were recording during COVID at this farmhouse, literally mm -hmm. three hours South of Atlanta. It's like drive three hours South into nothingness. Mm -hmm. And then keep going, and then you'll hit wow. this house, and that's where we were recording. Crazy. There wasn't even internet there. It was like, oh my no god, plan. Yeah. So, um, but it was different process, and for us, it really kind of, I think, rejuvenated our 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 trust in our own creative abilities because yeah. we came up with something fresh and new. So there is this 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 fine line to walk of guiding people towards like, hey, you know you fit into this kind of category and what you're doing here is all over the map or, you know, you yeah. kind of got some momentum in this direction. I think if you have momentum in a certain direction, it's good to ride that wave some where 
where we were feeling there was no momentum. So why didn't, why, why? Yeah. With it's such good advice though. I read all these articles about artists who have recorded just their best album and there's a running theme, which is they turned off the noise and they wrote what they wanted to write. And they, they weren't really concerned so much about the critics and all of those things. And it sounds like that's what you guys kind of did is just turned off the noise and went, let's do, let's do this for us. If nobody else loves it, that's okay. We love it. It's what we wanted to do. But by doing that, I think you kind of open yourself up to maybe your, your best recordings ever. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I, I used to remember back in the day, like a lot of the bands that are on your guys' walls behind you, when I'd hear like they they finally had money to record and they'd go rent a house and kind of seclude themselves yes. and all the gear. And I'd be like, oh, that's kind of weird. That I don't know if I'd like that, but <laughs> not not having been through the process, the, you know, the 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 process or the ringer of the music industry myself yet, not understanding that how that can be so beneficial for for blocking out that noise and kind of just getting back to the the heart of it the creation process of those core relationships it's just a couple of you know four other guys like in the case of our band four of the guys i make music with and the more life progresses and your career opens up the more distractions there are and it's like almost getting back to those moments of when you first started creating music together and all there was was that musical spark that yeah. you know it's it's interesting yeah. you bring that up because on my my kiss podcast we just had um snake from the band skid row on and and we were talking about that and more importantly it was like the question of especially in this day and age so many artists have a hard time going well i don't really want to record why because nobody's going to buy my music anymore nobody cares about music like they did so if nobody's going to buy it why record it which my question to snake was is that the wrong attitude i mean as an artist don't you just want to create regardless niece and and his attitude was like yours it's like yes you know you just want to go into a studio and all of a sudden go wow i remember what it was like when 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 rachel and i formed skid row before we even had the full band we had no record deal we had no manager we were just two yeah. kids in a basement going could you could you imagine if we could actually write songs and record an album? He goes, that's what drives me to do this. Yeah. And, and, and I think artists, as you do this longer and longer and maybe get more and more success, you forget that. Yeah, absolutely. You get, you, you get wrapped up in the busyness of this industry and you forget why you did this. Absolutely. In fact, uh, I don't know if you've seen my personal Instagram and TikTok. I've been making a lot of videos talking about topics like that. One of them I did recently was called Why Musicians Quit. And one of the reasons was because they feel like their music is no longer commercially viable. And so they give up. And I, you know, and it's not just like the 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 college band that it's like, oh, the world moved on. It's bands like at all levels where they feel yeah. like musical trends come and go. And every artist at some point in their career, unless you reach that upper echelon where right. stains for a long time uh, and you have resources, you're probably going to be forced to answer that question. And, and and there was a part of the video I cut out because it got too long. Um, but 
very similar to what you just said, Michael, where uh, I had this experience recently where I I went back to some places like physical locations here in Portland where I felt like it was early on in my CD baby career. There, there was this coffee shop that we go to almost every day and just talk about the music business and marketing and the podcast was taking off and, and see the office moved. And so that coffee shop in that area town where we always used to go get lunch was too far away. And I went back over there recently and walked into that coffee shop and just, it was like a lightning bolt hit me of all those emotions of those early days of like mm-hmm. the excitement and energy for what I, what I was doing. And I think that's important for people like to go tap into that because, you know, even for like an artist, like you mentioned Snake from Skid Row, he's going to have those legacy fans that are going to expect uh, those songs that they had before. But at the same time, it's just like walking into that moment and feeling that 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 excitement for why I do this in the first place can really be an open to a new creative door and a new chapter that I think it's important for people to, to go sometimes to those physical locations where these key moments in their life happened and re-experience those places. Yeah. You hear about some of these bands and, you know, we've seen it with Kiss and other bands that after years of playing big arenas, you know, when Eric joined the band, they played clubs. They went back and just played some clubs. And I think it's really healthy for artists at every level to go back to those venues where you cut your teeth and where you started playing. I'm sure that could be, have you ever done that gone and played some of those? Yeah. If they're still around. Yeah. Yeah. If they're still around. Yes. Actually one of the things we did um, that for us was very meaningful is our first three albums were recorded at Ardent Studios in Memphis, Tennessee. Very storied studio. Sure. And recorded there. In fact, one day when I was recording guitars, um, Robert Cray was recording in the studio next door. And our producer was also working on his album. Oh, and wow. He, and I hear the door open behind me and Robert Cray walks in. I'm like, I cannot record guitars with Robert Cray. <laughs> Sorry, it's not happening. And and uh that's so funny. And so and like the the Jim Blossoms had tracked there and we had the same producer as them. But anyway, so it's this storied studio, it's where right. our career started, and we you know for us was very meaningful. In 2016, we were able to go back there and the album that we did that came out in 2018, a lot of it was tracked there. And for us, it was just kind of like this, yeah, that story touch point, reconnecting with the past, but also using yeah. it as a re- a way to propel us forward. Yeah. And acknowledge the past, not get stuck there. But that. But have we- you ever heard that Vivian Campbell joke where he said he went to see Jeff Beck and when he got there, he really felt like a guitar player, but he left feeling like a guitar owner. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> the Robert Cray thing. Right. Yes. I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was in a actually in Portland, Oregon at uh, I don't know if Apple Music is still around or uh, was it Apple Music? I think it was called that. It was, they sold guitars and stuff. It was way before Apple. Anyway, John Entwistle walked in and wow. I was playing a bass at the time and I put that thing away and just, stepped, <laughs> just like stepped yeah. back, you know? Yeah. 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 yeah that's he how, was an that's... endorser of Sun amplifiers. Do they still have those? I Sun, S U N N, I think. I'm not I don't sure. know. I'm like 108 years old. So <laughs> that's why some of this, I used to live in Portland. I, oh, really? I didn't know oh, that. Yeah. I Powell's books, you know, oh, I used yeah. to go by Reed college. You okay. know, 
I love Portland, man. It's you live in one of the best places around and a real, at least it's been such a vibrant music community for all genres and moods, right? Yeah, it's it's an interesting place because um I moved here in 2000 and so really saw the the creative culture explode here. Um, and part of the reason was because just like the show Portlandia at that time, it was really cheap to live here. It's not anymore. No, uh, not anymore. Um, but also the thing that's interesting to me is I grew up in San Diego and there is no way I would have had the same creative output and, and style and musical growth. If I had stayed living in San Diego, Really? yeah, absolutely. Like the kind of music I just started writing and recording up here. I never would have done insane. It's too sunny and happy down there. <laughs> <laughs> Your honesty is refreshing. <laughs> but but up here, I it was got. Uh, it's supposed to be eighty degrees today here. By the nice. way, nice. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, the um, but yeah, the the it's very moody and vibey and a very different lifestyle than a lot of other places. And, and Portland to me feels very different than Seattle. A lot of people just kind of lump us together, but Seattle. Oh, they're very different. I was born in that area and moved yeah. from Seattle to Portland. And you're absolutely right. Yeah. Seattle feels more like San Francisco to me. Portland is like its own thing. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, so the creative culture here, it's just like, that also kind of was one of the things that when I started the DIY musician podcast, there was just this idea of like, do it yourself in the city like they're just like you want to make something happen let's how let's here's how you do it you yeah. can do it yourself you yeah. and, and kind of being a a real uh i don't know hands-on type of vibe here like make it happen if you want to do an art form just go for it you know and yeah. and sort of the, because it doesn't have the the shadow of the industry like in la new york or nashville right i think they're allows creativity to go in different directions and not feel like everything has to be for the industry. Yeah. I hadn't thought about how geographically uh, it could change your sound, your outlook, your lyrics, your writing, like all of that. But that makes, that makes total sense to me. And, and you're right. It is such a different place. I mean, I try well, to get up there, you know, I mean, uh, Terry Courier and the music millennium. I mean, you, you can't go to Portland without visiting uh, music millennium. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, you, you you can only just imagine. Listen, if you're if if you were down in San Diego and it's eighty degrees, you're like, I don't want to be sitting in the studio. I'm going to the <laughs> beach, man. I'm getting the surfboard. I'm going to the beach. You know, when you're in That's other locales, you're sort of like, yeah, it's nicer in the studio than it is outside. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the I I don't I, I that was one thing that really hit me when I moved up here because. I lived in San Diego and then I went to college in Nashville and was there for four. Well, I lived in Nashville longer than four years, but was in college for four years. And then right after my fourth year, met the guys in small town poets. They're based in Atlanta. So living in the South and in an industry town and still visiting San Diego a bunch. But when I got up here, it really, really changed. It was very drastic how I felt um, creatively. I got up here wow. in. I thought I was kind of done with music. I needed a break. I was so burnt out from just the go, go, go of the, you know, the label, major label lifestyle we were living. And uh, then I thought I was doing a lot of photography and. Oh, cool. 
I thought that's what I was going to do. But then I just started writing songs like crazy. I'd never had that experience before. And there was just something about the environment, the mood of the city. Um, the Yeah, you just it it impacts your art form. And it's yeah. very interesting. That's why, you know, I, I this is something that I think a lot about. I'm like, would we ever have like a grunge movement out of Seattle again? Would we ever have like the LA band scene again? Because the music world is so fractured and anyone can make music anywhere in the world now. There's not these centralized locations. That's Will right. We have a Seattle sound again. Will we ever have a San Francisco sound or Nashville sound? Is it, yeah. is, is that going to happen again? Because, you know, you yeah. get a collective of artists that are all in this area feeling and vibing together yeah. and creating but now collaboration happens worldwide and yeah it's a different world and somebody mentioned that same thing to me the other day and they said will we ever have you know a michael jackson thriller moment where we're all watching mtv or we're all watching a certain thing it's like everything is so fractured now i don't know if that will but something new will i mean if history has taught us anything there will be something new it just you know it won't be maybe the way that we used to have it. Yeah, I mean, I think there, there'll always be something new and exciting. But I think, you know, whether you're talking about like the grunge movement or, or Michael Jackson, I think part of what you got there was the rest of the world didn't know that was percolating. Yeah. You know, unless you were in the Pacific Northwest and in the scene, you didn't know this movement of a new style of music was percolating. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I was in, in the Midwest. I was in Minneapolis. I had no freaking idea about Nirvana until Nirvana was released. Yeah. So to some extent, that's, that's what made those movements exciting was it was like they exploded out of nowhere. When the reality is they didn't come out of nowhere. They yeah. were there and developing we just didn't hear about it. And now with the internet, you know, you can hear about anything the moment somebody steps foot on a small coffee shop stage <laughs> yes. and, you know, and explodes that stage with something incredibly new. That's all over the or world from their by bedroom. tomorrow morning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, well, and also our listening habits are so driven by algorithms now that I, I'll, I'll you know, I love rock music new and old any any era of rock music whether it was released this week or all going back to classics i'm a guitar player i love it all and i'll I, one of the my main questions for people these days is like where do you discover music because i feel like i i'm in this algorithmic pigeonhole that i can't get out of yeah and, me too and uh and i can meet somebody who's like i could walk into a room of 10 people that also love rock bands and probably all of us are listening to completely different stuff and maybe don't even know the bands that we're all listening to where that used yeah. to not be the case. So it's hard to feel like you're having this collective music experience with other music fans. Um, yeah. When, when so much of the, the way we experience music are these algorithms and platforms trying That's to right. things specifically to our taste that they, yeah. Yeah. I, I discover music just how you described by, Hey, Kevin, what are you listening to, man? Oh, I, did you hear about that thing? And, you know, Mike will call me up and go, you know, did you hear about that album from this guy? You know, yeah. I find that from my friends, that's a better discovery search engine. You know, it's like you were talking about, is it Melody Ryan? Is that who yeah. you're? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it you're, you're working with someone that you want to kind of share with people. And I think 
that will help as well as you, yeah. you tell me and Mike, we listen to it. We tell a couple of people it's kind of old school, right? Yeah. But sometimes that's, that's how you start. Yeah. Yeah. It, and that's, that's kind of what I've been going back to lately, especially with, with, uh, working on her project and, and small town puts We're we've been doing a lot of pre-production, getting ready to go in the studio and track our next album and thinking like, you know what, it, when it comes back to it, I mean, social media is great, but at some level, it's almost a bit of a distraction in that the music industry and the music business has always been a relationship business, meaning yeah. uh, people need to be talking to people about what they like. And if yeah. they're not doing that, it's hard to move things along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think too many, too too many people, bands, managers, people in the industry want to rely entirely on algorithms and computers and this. You know, the what's what's the new silver bullet that will do it much quicker? Where, as you guys were talking about this, it just reminded me. It's like, and I'm sure you both can relate. And I discovered music on Tuesdays when yep. I would walk into tower records every freaking Tuesday, not looking for anything in particular. And I would just start at a, and I'd walk down flipping CDs and until you got to Z and inevitably I always left with a couple CDs yeah. because either the employee came by and go, Hey, that's pretty cool that you're holding right there. Or some other person is standing there looking at something and I'm going, what is that? You know, it's that recommendation or, I mean, it's as simple as boy, that album cover looks pretty freaking interesting. Yeah. I have yeah. no idea what the music's like, but I'm buying it. <laughs> I've done that totally many times. On the yeah. album cover. But now the album covers the size of a postage stamp. Well, that's that's yeah. the thing. How do you, you know, when, when even iTunes itself first started, I was like, how do I browse the record store? Mm -hmm. you, you're there, there is no browsing. You kind of have to know what you want to go towards. I can't just go to iTunes and say, show me the A's. Nope. In fact, I think that's the big failing of the platforms where they are right now. Because like take Netflix, for instance. If I open Netflix, my impression is, is that they have 40 things. Because that's all I see. On right. my homepage. And even if I look at like music documentaries, they'll only show me 10. <laughs> and I'm right. like, this is Netflix. There are hundreds of thousands of things here. How do I get into the yeah, deeper? How do here? I get deeper? And there are some cheat codes that you can find on the internet to do that on Netflix. But I feel like with the music platforms, that's been one of the, the big failings is that that browsing experience is gone. Even that that making it fun, like um like it, having a random button, like we're just yeah. going to pull up some random crazy thing out of the catalog that makes it fun for you to find. That, yeah. uh, and even just being able to explore down different rabbit holes, like the fact that I can't search by a guitar <clears throat> player or a producer. Is right. Yep. That's nuts. Especially in a digital. Yes. Yeah. We that's... cannot curate music by the people that are playing on it that's insanity no there was a dsp for a while they're not around anymore but it's really cool called music aficionado and what when you went to their homepage, it was like a magazine and it changed out every week and like one of the articles would say here are the 10 best blues songs 
ever and but it wasn't you'd go in there and it was like maybe 10 developing artists and they would explain to you this is the new uh, you know, bunch of guys coming up yeah. and then you go to another article and it would be about something else, but you could kind of read the article while you're listening to the music. And it was, I thought that was such a cool experience because I was turned on to so much, you know, new and uh, amazing music. Um, Kevin, we're running up against the clock. I would love to continue our conversation, tell people where they can learn more about you and the artists that you're working with and, and CD baby and the, the blog and the podcast and we could go on for hours, but where, where can people learn more about all the great work that you're doing? Yeah. I mean, if you want to connect with me directly, I'm at K Bruner on Instagram and TikTok. I've been making a lot of videos uh, just with content, helping artists. Um, and there, if you're an artist, you can book a free 20 minute strategy session. I've just been doing awesome. it to, to stay connected cool. with artists. Just click the link in the bio and it's just been fun to hear artist stories and really kind of see what their real needs are at this point. That's super cool. So uh, that's a good place. Uh, the DIY Musician Podcast is a, a good spot. Um, and of Love course, it. the blog and, and all those things. <laughs> and, and yeah, definitely uh, uh, connect with me in those places. And I'd love to and what's that track called? Melody Ryan's track? Oh, yeah. Melody's new track is out today. It's called Bleeding Out. Bleeding Out. All right. It is. It is. Go listen. It, it was a. Uh, it was so much fun in the studio. And and the other songs that are coming are amazing, too. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's been a, a, a really awesome experience and really helping, um, you know, just being an advocate of taking an artist and really trying to capture the musical expression that they want to create. And as a, as as the producer's role, I think that's been incredibly important for me. It's not like what I want to do. It's like, what's, what helps achieve their musical vision for themselves. That's been, been a lot of fun. So yeah, those are all the places. Thanks, Kevin. Congratulations on all of that. Let's, let's continue the conversation, but thanks for coming by and talking with us today. We appreciate it. Yep. Take care, pal. Visit discmakers.com to place an order for 100 or more CDs. And when you check out, use promo code FREEBIZ and get free shipping up to a one. Always great chatting with Kevin. You know, he's been deeply (laughs) involved in this for many, many, many years. On so many different levels, right? Yeah, that that you and I have as well. So, and it was was nice to get uh, a discussion here where we kind of were not talking marketing, but it's like that whole management world, which, yeah. you know, as, as I said in the interview, it's like, it's one of the most common questions. Every client is like, I need to find a manager. Well, why, why do you want a manager? First of yeah. all, to, to do you have point, enough revenue where it makes sense? Do you sense? have enough revenue? Do you have enough business, enough yeah. activity? Um, because, you know, if you are really, truly worthy of a manager, odds are managers will seek you out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same with some labels too. I was talking to a label A&R guy about an artist and of mine that's starting to get some heat. And as soon as I brought it up, he goes, we're aware. They know they're, they're watching the pole star and they're watching radio and they're watching streaming numbers. They're, they're watching the marketplace. They're watching TikTok. They know when, when something's starting to pop. Yep. 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 So, you know, uh, I, I I just think that was a good discussion about managers and everybody yeah. should hopefully walk away with a little bit of insight as to what it's like to be a manager and, and <laughs> yeah, and the it's roles. not for everyone. It's not, it definitely is not. I mean, I, I joke, but seriously, I say it's like, 
you be a manager, do you, you basically are going to become somebody's mother. And some people That's thrive it. on that. Other people, it, it's not good. Trust me. Yeah. If, if all you want to deal with is business, yeah. you're not going to be a manager. Yeah. Great discussion. You, you, you've got, you've got to be able to deal with all of the other stuff that goes yep. on. So yes, great discussion. Uh, a quick shout out. Thank you to Bruce and everybody at Hypebot and Bands in Town. And of course, to our sponsor, discmakers.com. Thank you so much. That's it, everybody. We'll see you next week. And industry professionals listen to the Music Biz Weekly podcast. If you have a product or service and would like to reach this audience, get in touch with Michael or Jay to discuss sponsorship this opportunities. For Music Biz Weekly, provided by LarryDavisVoice.com and by JessicaMarsVoice.com. That's Mars with a Z.